You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 26. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to this Thursday Lively Show episode, guys. Thank you so much for being with me. Today, I'm actually speaking to you from a conference room next to my apartment in Chicago because this is our last day in the city and our apartment is entirely empty. So the echo there was pretty terrible. So I'm here live recording from a business conference room. As we get started, I just want to share that the intention tattoos I've been working on for the last few months behind the scenes have finally launched. They're short little intention phrases that are temporary tattoos made by Tatley. So they're really cool. There are six total phrases. Be present, be patient, be brave, be love, accept what is, be the light. So if you're interested in any of those phrases or it sounds really cool and you just want to check them out, go on over to JessLively.com slash intention tattoos. In today's episode, we're speaking with Whitney English of WhitneyEnglish.com. Whitney is originally a stationary designer and now is the inventor of the day designer and also helps business owners become more of who they are in their businesses. So in our episode today, it's much more of a back and forth style conversation, kind of like the Noah Kagan episode. And it has a very Brene Brown feel to it. So if you guys are interested in Brene Brown, I have a feeling you're going to really, really like this episode. In the show, we're going to talk about Whitney and her business that grew to seven figures in that stationary company. Once it closed, she talks about the lessons she's learned from that experience and also how that has actually brought about the day planner and her different approach to her businesses going forward based on what she's learned. In addition, she also has done a lot of research recently on the idea of failure and overcoming it or also facing your fears of it. So there's going to be a lot of great conversation around that topic. And it's just a really open, honest conversation on both of our ends about things we've tried and things that haven't worked. And Whitney actually asks me about my career and how I got to where I am. And it's kind of sharing some sides of it that you guys may not have heard of before. And we also have an interesting conversation on the concept of being still from a spiritual perspective. So let's go to the show. Thanks for coming on the show, Whitney. Thank you for having me, Jess. I'm so happy to talk with you today. So let's get started first with your career background and how you got to where you are. I do two things right now, two, two things on a daily basis. I have a consulting company where I help um, creative entrepreneurs um, discover their core and live to make a difference. And I also run a planner company called Day Designer. And that is actually the majority of my income in the past year. Um, I found a day designer in 2012 after, after my first business failed. I call it my, my first business. It definitely um, hasn't been my only business since then, but after it, after it kind of went down in a blaze of glory, I like to say, <laughs> I looked, I mean, I just was like, you know, something is wrong with my life. There has to be some kind of system or organization that I can put in place that will, will help me, you know, find my A game and, and get back to where I want to be. And, and really there just, there were some simple organization techniques that I needed to apply to my life. And when I figured out how to spiral, spiral bind those into a, a planner format, the day designer was born. So that's what I do right now. And it's been really rewarding to do that for the past two years. People are loving it. They're beautiful, beautiful books. 
Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So quickly, do you want to share a little bit? Because that business you mentioned, I know a lot of listeners that may not know you don't realize how big and established that business actually was. Do you want to go into a little bit about that? It's there, you know, it's still, um, it is part of my story and, and there are days where it's still hard to embrace some of what happened, but I started this business in 2002, whenever I was 23 years old and really quickly, I, you know, I started out of, I mean, there just was nothing else to do. There was, I, my major was interior design. There, there were no interior design jobs because it was right after September 11th and I knew paper. And so I started this wholesale stationery business and it, it grew slowly and steadily at first, and then it just broke out of the gates, just broke out of the glass ceiling. And it was so exciting and such a, I mean, I still have these victory moments that I remember from the year 2006 and, it, you know, just such a thrill to work that hard and then finally have something come, you know, just blow, you know, explode like that in a good way, you know, not in the, not in the blaze of glory <laughs> decline way, um, going out, but Anyway, you know, things did get stressed. I have three kids and I got married in 2008. And every time I added, you know, my husband and then child one and then child two and child three, there was a lot of pressure. And, and when you combine those strains that I was feeling from on, on the personal side of things with the technology shift, the disruption that was happening, you know, in the internet marketplace with Shutterfly and Tiny Prince and things like that the business just wasn't sustainable in its current model anymore. And kind of after doing everything I possibly could do to save that, we ended up being forced to close it out of a series of, you know, just legal things that were happening as other people's bankruptcies came back and hit us. I learned so much. (laughs) Definitely. It was a huge learning curve, but it's over. It was fun. We, I mean, we were doing seven figures annually and it was, it was fun, but I'm glad to have that experience. And right now I'm just in a place where I hope I can use that to help other people going forward. I feel like that's the best thing you can take with that negative turn, you know? Yeah. So what is the most important thing you learned from that experience? Rip off the bandaid fast. If it's, if it's going downhill and you know, it's going downhill, don't sit there and pick a day, put the day on the calendar wake up that day, summon every ounce of courage you have, and then some make the phone calls you've got to make, rip the bandaid off fast, call it quits. It was, it was really painful, partly because it just, it actually closing it stretched out over a period of probably about a year to, to almost two years, probably from the time I knew we were going to have to close it to the time we actually did close it. And yeah, it was just agonizing from that standpoint. I can imagine. So that's really smart. I myself, when I closed SLC, had a similar experience. I thought I had to, for me, like drag it out. And then it just wasn't working anymore. The minute I knew it wasn't supposed to keep going, it nothing worked. And it was like, why am I rationalizing why I should keep going? Let's just like rip the bandaid off, like you said. Yeah. And I've, I've been following your blog for a while. And I, I actually think that that I've always admired your ability to, when, when you're transitioning, you're transitioning. I mean, it's just, you have drawn the line, you have stepped over it. We are moving on and, and not looking back over our shoulder. And I really think that's an asset, the ability to do that. And so you're inspiring to me from that standpoint. Well, thank you. So was it right after then the day designer began in 2012? Yeah, there definitely was an overlap in the two businesses. Day designer initially launched 
in the summer of 2012. I was eight and a half months pregnant with my third child. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Whenever I launched that and it was, it was a quiet launch. I, I hadn't built up to this. I hadn't told people I was doing this. I hadn't, you know, blogged for months about productivity and the research I was doing or anything like that. I just, I just had sort of fallen into this format that wasn't out there in a planner concept. And I thought, we're just going to do this. And the, the product development process on it was painful. And um, the initial prototypes were heavy and large, just, you know, we're trying to fit 365 days into a book and it, it's, it's huge. It's complicated. So I, I really enjoy product development though. So that was a fun process. So we launched it in 2012 and we have about 24 months of sales actually almost to the day. Oh, really? Yeah. It was about this time in July when we launched it two years ago. So it's been fun to see see the growth and see people respond to it. And I, I will tell you a little bit about it, if you don't mind. I, I, we shipped it, you know, like Seth Godin says, just ship, you know, just start shipping. And so we started shipping and people started responding and they were like, this is wonderful. This is the most amazing planner I've ever seen. And I couldn't figure out why, to be totally honest. And at first I thought it was the format that it was, you know, here's your to-dos on one side of the page and your schedule on the other side. Today and to do is the is kind of the format that it follows on one page. And then I realized that a lot of what people were responding to was some worksheets that I had put in the front um, that help walk people through a really simple process of just identifying your passions and your strengths and your purpose. And I realized that when people receive it, they, they're receiving more than a planner. They're receiving a little bit of a, a piece of themselves. Um and all of a sudden, I started looking at it as a gift. Like, this is something I can give people that I may never meet that helps them understand who they are better and how, that, how they're beautiful just the way they are. I mean, I feel like in creative entrepreneur world, there's, there's always this, uh, you know, pressure to be something we're not or to be like that person standing over there. And I hope Day Designer helps people realize that they're enough just the way they are. So that was kind of a cool little gift to me that came out of that project. That's fascinating to think that you put this together, you birthed this baby, and then it comes out and you're like, oh my gosh, it has this whole nother level to it that I didn't even realize as I was creating it. The effect was even more profound. Yeah. There, you know, there's an old Jap- Japanese proverb that, you, I mean, it's fall down seven times, stand up eight. I think as a creative entrepreneur, you just throw stuff against the wall to see what sticks and the fact that this stuck, the, you know, this was my, I've fallen down so many times and this was my eight. And I just, I hope that for other people, it can be their eight too, or at least help them get to their eight. So yeah, it's been fun. Recently, you've been asked to speak at the Influence Conference on a specific topic that has been something you've been researching lately. Do you want to tell us about it? Well, sure. <laughs> so the gals that run the Influence Conference came to me earlier this year and asked me if I would speak. And I said, I'd be happy to. What do you want me to talk about? And they said, we'd, we'd like for you to talk about failure. <laughs> I thought, great. Um, and I, I really dug my heels in for a while. They you know, wanted a synopsis of my talk and I put off sending it for several months because I just didn't want to be known as the failure girl. Like, hey, you know, Whitney, talk about all these things you've done wrong, you know? <laughs> Why don't you talk about your screw ups and you'll just be the screw up girl. We'll just always not do the things you've done. (laughs) Don't do what I did. Right. But I mean, that's, you know, that's a hard brand to, to build, I guess. In researching, I mean, obviously I, I have had a failed company and, and we've all had failures in our lives, big and little, 
And, and so I've, I've really been, I've really had to do a lot of heart searching about what is, what does failure mean to all of us and, and how do we use it? How do we embrace it to become better? And so it's been, it's been interesting. I mean, I've discovered that there's different levels of failure. I mean, in the simple format, there's three, you know, there's, the little failures, you know, that are basically think of it as a rainstorm, like a little, a little, you know, shower every afternoon, you know, we screw up every day on big, you know, little things. I mean, I have three small kids and in potty training, you know, there's accidents, you know, I mean, that's, and you don't make a big deal out of the tiny failures. You just, you just do better next time kind of thing. And then there's, you know, thunderstorm failures and, those are the things that are a little bit harder to, to swallow in life. And um, sometimes they're our own faults and sometimes they're not our own faults. You know, if you get cancer, that might seem like a failure or a struggle in life. And, and then there's just Hurricane Katrina, like epic failures where you just want to crawl into a hole and, and you, you don't know what to do with it. You don't know where to turn. Um, you don't know if you're supposed to get out of bed every morning, you know, the next morning, you know, you're supposed to like life doesn't give you the option of curling up in a corner and not moving forward. But, but what on earth do you do? And how do you recover from that is just some of the questions I've been asking myself. It's also really interesting. I'm a big Brene Brown fan. And I think all of her research on shame has been hugely influential to my recovery process. And I still remind myself on at least a weekly basis, if not a daily basis, that the epic failures are not something that we can, like we can't personalize them. If we personalize them, we're letting shame creep in. We have to take a certain amount of personal responsibility for it, but we can't, we can't let it define us. If I let, if I said, okay, my failure, my, the fact that my business closed, that's, that's the only thing that I am, you know, I'm personalizing it. I'm letting it define me and I'm letting shame take over. And so there's definitely some like self pep talk in my head going on some days where I'm like, this is not the only thing that you are, Whitney, you are not <laughs> the epic failure. You know, you're, you're more than epic failure. Like you may have had epic failure and maybe part of your story, but you are more than just epic failure. And, it, and by the way, it, it, in, you know, I, another thing that I like to talk about in failure is I try not to trivi- trivialize other people's struggles. What's an epic failure in my life or what felt like one definitely does not compare to some of the trials, you know, I have, you know, friends that have gone through. Um, so, but just, it's that feeling of shame and that feeling of not enough and just realizing that we don't have to embrace that. You know, we can embrace the failure without embracing the shame that comes with it. That's beautiful. And actually I was just listening to, or watching, I guess the interview of Oprah Winfrey at the Stanford business school. I just finished watching it today. So I have to share about failure. She believes that failure is the universe's way of correcting your course to your ultimate destiny. And I'm kind of paraphrasing there, but the idea is that failure is actually the universe's way of telling you that that's not where you're supposed to be. That's good. So if it had succeeded, then you'd be still doing stationary right now. And perhaps you wouldn't have done the day designer. Perhaps you wouldn't be helping these other small business owners with your life. And actually, I can say for myself with my own business, I did a lot of traveling workshops for several years that people may remember business with intention and life with intention. Life with intention was not life with intention online or any of the content that I'm working with now. It was maybe the seed of that. But those experiences were very expensive and they were not 
successful in the financial sense. I actually lost a lot of money putting those on. I didn't have the platform to, or the readership, I guess, they could pay the price it would need to be at the full rate in order to come to the day and to put on the level of you know production, if you will, and all the expenses that were involved. So I actually lost some money on it. And in that failure, I ended up pausing and reflecting and going, all right, is this, what am I supposed to do next? And if it hadn't been unsuccessful in the financial sense, I could have easily just, if it had been, let's look at the opposite. So if it had been super lucrative and successful, then I would obviously still be doing all of those things. I'd still be primarily a business coach. And that is definitely not my highest use of my talent and my life to share. So it's actually a huge blessing, though it sucks that I lost that money you know, investing in like trying to make something work that basically my ego wanted to have working for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's always a gift in it. And I, and I guess if there's a message that I can, you know, like one single tidbit I want people to walk away from, it, it would be that find the gift. Like if you're struggling right now, or at least trust that there's a gift coming. If you're in the, if you were in the, like the darkest moment, you know, I, and there, I had a bad day last week where I absolutely did not feel like enough. I absolutely felt like there's just no way I can make this day designer thing work, you know, to, to the level that I feel like it needs to work if I'm going to continue to do it. And it was a really discouraging day. And I had to, I mean, I had to have a bucket of tears and then go to sleep and then wake up the next day and then realize that I have to keep going and it, it might fail. I hope it doesn't, but there will be a gift in that if it does. If if failure is part of the part of the day designer story, heaven forbid, because I hope it works. Um, I have a huge vision for where it could go. But anyway, there will be something good that comes out of it, no matter what. And I feel like that's the thing that we have to trust. What do you think it was the good that came out of your last business closing? I don't even know if I know the answer to that yet. There are definitely things I did that I don't want to do again. I was really competitive in that business and I would see a competitor debuting a new product and, you know, I would instantly be trying to one up them. And, and that made my business about me and I want day designer to be about the user. I am not the hero of the day designer story. The person using their day designer is the hero of that story maybe that perspective shift might be the the biggest thing I've learned. It, like the ego thing that you were just saying. It, sometimes as creative entrepreneurs, like we do stuff because, you know, to feed our egos. And and then I think, you know, we, we look back and we kind of cringe. We're like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And it can come from a little bit of a mixture, right? You guys go, oh, I'm going to help people with this. And also it's going to be awesome personally or for mm-hmm. the ego reasons too. Yeah. For me, it was the blog shop. Uh, Seeing Brie Emery's awesome success with her blog shop she was doing all over the world. I was like, well, this is awesome. I was enjoying my business consulting with clients one-on-one on on the phone. And I was like, why don't I bring this to in-person events and put on these similar, like well-produced, beautiful venues and all of those kind of things. But it really just never clicked. I, I really liked working with small groups of people. And when you do a big venue kind of thing with small groups of people, it gets pricey and it just didn't work. And really, I didn't ask my gut whether, you know, I should do a blog shop type workshop out in the world, especially even at that time, right? Some things it's just not the right time for Mm -hmm. doing things. So maybe I'll do live events in the future. But I know that the fact that that didn't work was actually the hugest blessing because the answer I heard from my gut 
after that changed everything. And I, like you said, when I hear my gut, I don't hesitate. The problem is sometimes like with the workshops, I didn't ask. I just decided. And that was kind of my biggest mistake. Mm -hmm. And that's probably the biggest mistake we can ever make is just not asking our intuition. Okay. So here's kind of a question for you. (laughs) Pardon me for putting you on the spot, but do you ever feel like the reason you're doing all of this is because you just know you, you were called for something great and you don't know what it is, but do you ever feel like, I want to know what Jess Lively thinks about that topic. (laughs) Okay. All right. So this is kind of interesting, especially in a podcast with thousands of people listening right now. So there's, all right. So my childhood was not, I had a lot of awesome blessings, but it was not always easy for reasons or I choose not Mm -hmm. to share because it's obviously not just about me. So basically not going into the details of that, I can say that there was a lot of personal lessons that I needed to learn in my own life. And one of those kind of culminated in like helping me in my junior year, I had a breakdown going to therapy about things from my childhood that were very stressful. And I was actually like kind of exposed to the other side of the spectrum. It's hard to explain this without going into details, but I'm going to try to do my best to just say I was going to therapy about things that I was also being exposed to in my like a groomed, I guess, if you will, to be in my current adult life at that point. And so I was having this horrible time. So everyone usually has their like midlife crisis or the quarter life crisis when they're like 25 or 26 after they've been in the real world. I ended up being a 22 year old in college still going through that same kind of crisis, if you will, of like what is really meaningful to me just sooner because I was exposed to the grooming process of getting into following onto the things that I was in therapy about. (laughs) So in that I was devastated and I didn't know what, what up was up or down was down. I didn't know what to believe in anymore. The seven habits of highly effective people came back into my life at that point and really created that foundation for me. But then really what changed everything and what really clicked for me was I wrote a quote by Michelangelo asking him about the statue of David. Apparently back in the day, they asked Michelangelo how he could conceive of the statue of David, which is this beautiful statue of the naked man, <laughs> but he's really big and he's beautiful and it's a piece of stone. They're like, how could you possibly create the statue from a piece of marble? How on earth did you possibly create something? And so what they're asking him is really like, how did he make something like you as the hero of the story, like you just said? And he said it was very simple. He saw the the statue, the figure within the stone. And all he ever had to do was remove what was covering the statue. So he didn't make it. He revealed it. Extreme makeover was huge at the time. And I was like totally in new luxury was a big deal. This is all before the recession. So everything was like more and more like extreme makeover was the biggest show on television. Extreme home makeover was like, get a new house, get a new body. Like the one you have, the house you have, the body you have is not good enough. And so I was taught all of these things and I'm binge eating candy bars, going to therapy. What else was I doing? I was buying coach bags. Well, one coach bag and like lipstick. And I was just desperately seeking this perfection that I thought based on the media and what everyone told me would make me happy. And I was miserable with all of it until I heard that quote. And when I heard that quote, I was like, that's the shift. That is the shift I need to make personally. I need to learn to live from the Michelangelo way of seeing things. Our best selves, our potential is not with a bunch of crap on top of us and layering on extra crap. That's just like adding more stone to the marble 
that's already there. We really need to do is actually remove the stone that's covering up our fullest potential. When I realized that, I really immediately connected to my mess becomes my message. It's something that Joyce Meyer always says. So the mess that I went through, what the struggles I had as a child, the therapy that I was going through, and all of that was here to teach me how to do it differently. And I knew that there are other people out there that needed to have help with that as well. And so that's what set everything else in motion. But there were things along the way, like the jewelry business supported me while I tried to do that work. And the business consulting was better. I was like really helping people, but it wasn't that. I wasn't really dealing with that Michelangelo shift. Mm -hmm. This last year though, I will tell you after that whole workshop thing and I go, what should I do next? That's when it all clicked for me. And it was hard because everybody expected me to stay in the business world and they all wanted me to be. Are you kidding? Like I get emails all the time saying like, can you please do business work? And I, I know my gut didn't tell me to do that. And so I'm not, and I'm just following that. But it's right now, it's kind of an interesting time because a lot of the stuff I've been working on, I've done the class Life with Intention Online. It's been a year assimilating everything I've learned for seven years since that moment of the Michelangelo quote. And now I actually have something to share at the class I've taught the last four times in the class I'm relaunching in a few weeks mm-hmm. is really my, my work. This is what I was meant to learn. This is what I'm meant to teach. So yeah, that's a really long answer to, <laughs> to your question. Yeah, no, it does. And I just, I think you're definitely one of those people that I look at and think, this is not the end game. You know, this is not like you're just at this cusp like Brene Brown or Marie Forleo, or I think there's other women I, I look up to and I think like Jess will have her Oprah moment, you know, like it'll happen. <laughs> I don't want to sound egotistical or anything. And I, not that I think I'm, I've got an Oprah moment in my future, but or maybe it's not a literal Oprah moment. Maybe it's not Oprah, but I, I do feel like if I keep working and, you know, keep peeling the layers off. I love, I've heard you talk about that Michelangelo story before, and I think it's awesome. I love it. And I frequently quote you on that, by the way. Or quote Michelangelo, really. Yeah. But I, you know, I always cite that I heard the story from you. But yeah, there's, I feel like I'm in the middle of that right now, for sure. Like this is, sometimes it feels like there's too much going on. And then that just means just what can I eliminate? Look at my to-do list. What can I cross off? you know, what, what layer can I take away to get to the core of this or wherever, whatever this is, you know, wherever it is I'm going, whatever the purpose is. When it comes to purpose, I always say like, it's always about serving in the present moment, wherever you are. So in giving your full attention to that moment and serving in whatever way you can. So I think we can always do that no matter where we are. And that's the beautiful thing about purpose rather than it being one specific form or another. It's really awesome to think that it doesn't have to be that limiting and constricting, but it can be now in this evening, <laughs> tomorrow and a next job and what have you. I actually mm-hmm. work with a lot of clients in life with intention work and a lot of them come to me not liking their jobs and they want to start their own small businesses. I kind of like have that vibe around me. I get a lot of those readers and listeners and I totally understand it because I've been self-employed my whole career. So I know they, that's what they really want for themselves. But I always say that I think the first lesson we must learn if you're in that place is to be fully present and bring your purpose of being fully present and purposeful and serving in the job that you have so that your small business will flourish as well. Because I think if we check out for those eight hours a day 
and we don't do enough and we keep saying this is this moment's not good enough i'm going to be mm-hmm. so much better more joyful more fulfilled with my small business we're really actually cutting ourselves off from all the joy and fulfillment we could ever experience for 40 to 50 hours a week and that is no way to live that's not actually giving our best selves to our businesses either because when you cut yourself off from your own joy and intuition for that long that doesn't mean you have that much to bring to the evening when you're working on your business either. Mm-hmm. Let's go back. I wanted to circle back to this idea of failure and fear. And you had mentioned authenticity. So how does authenticity fit into this picture? You know, I tweeted I, this Monday afternoon and I was, my son goes to a tutoring session and I was sitting there you know, researching for this talk I have to give. And I thought maybe we say we're afraid of failure that's the number one fear I have clients tell me that they're afraid to start, you know, go out on their own because they're afraid of failing. Maybe we're afraid of being authentic because we're afraid of failing at who we really are. What does that mean? It, I think it goes back to your Michelangelo story. We think that our core must not be beautiful, that our, our statue underneath the layers of marble isn't good enough. Yeah. And so we just, we just cover it up. Like, why be authentic? The authentic isn't going to be enough. Me, just as I was created, I, I don't, it's a lie we buy into. It's definitely not true. I do think it takes intention to, little by little, make, make the tiny decisions every single day about not covering, uh, not being less than who we are. Because when we add, when we add that stuff, and believe me, I, I believe in wearing makeup. I know. I was thinking about makeup too as you're talking about this. It's a good example. And and I actually don't wear makeup on a day-to-day basis. And I, I actually did a video this morning for Stationary Academy, an event that I'm speaking at next week. And I just did it makeupless. And I try to be, you know, I try to not be ashamed about that. I mean, personal grooming is obviously incredibly important and extremely um, important for making a, a good professional, you know, presenting a good professional image. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that we do. I mean, we adapt our mannerisms to those around us. Why do we do that? Because we want them to like us. And we think that, you know, our mannerisms as we are just aren't really enough. I remember, I mean, it happens in junior high. You know, you want to, I remember trying out for cheerleader. Not a cheer, I'm not a cheerleader. (laughs) I cannot do backflip. But, you know, sixth grade, everybody's trying out for cheerleader you want to try and do that. Despite the fact that I was a much better artist and a much better analytical thought processor <laughs> than I would have been a, an, an athlete. So, but I, you know, there's just that, that sense in all of this that we need to be more. And I, and I guess the question I was asking you a, a, a minute ago about, do you feel like there's something that you're called to be that's more, there's a difference between feeling called to be more of who you are or feeling, feeling like you need to be more of someone else. And I would, I I would like to, I would like for my work to inspire people to be more of who they are. Yeah, absolutely. And actually to go back to that Oprah interview, I actually pulled out this quote she mentioned from Gary Zukov from the seat of the soul that says, when the personality comes to serve the energy of your soul, that is authentic empowerment. I'll repeat it because it's kind of a big quote, but when the personality comes to serve the energy of your soul, that is authentic empowerment. And it really clicked for me when I heard that because 
basically I teach a lot and I work with people to try to help them approach their lives from their intuitions rather than their egos. It really comes down to that. It's hard to live with intention if you don't first start there. And it's so elemental at the same time, the whole game is there. So the more we can live from that place, but the idea of the personality enhancing and just supporting us living from that place feels so different than trying to say, oh, I'm you know chipper person and I, that's my your, your mm-hmm. ego trying to game your personality, which just feels icky versus coming from your intuition and letting your personality enhance it. Yeah. And that's an art form in and of itself, right? Like just learning to master that. If I can figure that out by the end of my days... I will, I think I, you know, I'll feel like I've done what I was supposed to do. <laughs> I, I definitely don't feel like it's a switch that you can just turn on. And I feel like it's sometimes it's a battle. It just the discouraging day I had last week where I felt like I wasn't enough. And, you know, it happens in comparison a lot. And I think we just have to recognize when it's happening and, and combat it. Yeah, actually just watching it and labeling it can be really helpful, actually. Mm-hmm. I'm reading a book called The Happiness Trap right now which is about acceptance and commitment therapy, which someone on Twitter mentioned to me might be up my alley because it aligns with a lot of the work that I do. So I'm enjoying it. And one of the things they talk about is how when we, because what you're saying, that day that you had basically was just your egos spewing like a fire hydrant stuff at you all day, what you want, think and feel, what makes you feel separate from everyone else, right? Because in general, like that feeling is separateness. So the idea is just the ego was in charge that day. And it's not flipping a switch, but I do think that we can find that, you know, energy of the soul and letting the personality come through that or enhance that. It really comes from being still so that we can be quiet enough to quiet the fire hydrant in our heads going off so we can actually listen and come from that deeper place within us. It's not easy to do. And actually, I think our egos really tell us, like, I don't have time to do that because all it wants you to do is spend your whole day, 24 hours a day thinking what it wants you to think rather than saying, I don't really need to think about those crappy thoughts you want me to think for five minutes. I could actually just take a moment and watch the thoughts. I think for me, meditation is becoming slowly a part of my practice. I've kind of resisted for the same reason. The ego just makes up all this stuff. Like I don't have time for that. And really it just doesn't want to because if I did, then I would be lessening my attachment to my ego, which is the opposite of what it wants. It wants to just waste my time the rest of my life. So I've now decided instead of like going into meditation thinking, I don't want to think any thoughts. I'm not doing that because I think that was really a part of the resistance I was facing. So now it's like, I'm just going to spend five minutes watching my thoughts. I'm not going to try to have them or not have them. I'm just going to watch them and I'm going to label them like, oh, there's that story or just the idea of that's thinking. That's not necessarily me as the deepest part of me, the intuition. It's just, I'm going to watch my thinking for five minutes, which feels a lot better than I'm going to try not to have any thoughts for five minutes, or I'm going to try to like meditate in some way that I think I should based on a yoga class I took Mm -hmm. once. Okay. Interesting. I think it's something I actually, in the last week's, actually it won't be this last week's week's episode, but in a recent episode with Rachel McDonald, she talked a lot about how she experiences joy because she's someone who like, I really do feel experiences a lot of joy higher than the average person. It's a really great episode. Recommend you go check it out if you haven't already, but it's great. And she says like what everyone says really, which is like, be still, (laughs) like be quiet and connect to that part of you. And she says for her meditation is no longer about 
meditating for a certain amount of time or because it's a checklist item on the to-do list, but because it connects her to herself. So she, the, her value she's coming from is connecting to herself. The action she takes is meditation to do so. So it's not that meditation's the end. It's connecting to herself. And that's one of the avenues that she takes. I've honestly never taken a yoga class. I used to read the Bible and have a quiet time. And, and I do go back to that for, you know, a source of, of quietness and things like that. But I've actually, I actually have no experience in the field of meditation, interestingly enough. Prayer from a Christian perspective is as similar. Meditation might have, a, depending on the meditation you're doing, I would say there's many types, but yeah, I think that prayer is also checking in with your gut. For me, I believe that the intuition is our connection to the universe or to God in the Christian sense or the Holy Spirit in the Christian sense. So I think it's all relate. I'm like, I love all religions. I will, I love all of them. So I, I yeah. Yeah, I love that about you. I love your openness to that. So here's an interesting thing about the whole being still um, concept. I wrote a blog post about this probably about a year ago, because I really, I really felt like the, you know, it, it goes back to, um, a set, you, know, part, you know, the concept of being still is in the the Old Testament. Be still and know that I am God. Right. And and so I, I went back to that verse. And I just kind of thought, what on earth does that really mean? You know, and, and to, to really understand the the verse, I feel like you have to look at the context around it. And so the Israelites are basically faced with an enemy, and I'm not going to pretend I know (laughs) what enemy it was. God does say to them, be still and know that I am God. But in the verses before that, he actually gives them a list of instructions. And then he says, be still and know that I am God. And if you look at it, it's kind of confusing. You're like, well, wait, you could say, wait a second, God, you just gave me a whole list of things to go and do. What do you mean being, you know, and and when you read it in that context, you actually kind of realize that he's telling you, you know, I gave you something to do, go do what I told you to do and hustle. I mean, it actually isn't being still or they're kind of running around crazy and he's telling them to still from that standpoint quit worrying, quit fretting about stuff that I've got under control. I gave you a list of stuff to do. Please just go and do it and shut up with all your rigmarole. <laughs> and when I read it like that, I was like, oh my gosh, this isn't, I mean, I do think that that, that quiet reflection, i.e. meditation is, is a really important part of personal growth. And I'm like you, I, a lot of times I'm too busy. I mean, I'm going to shrug that off and be like, I got a book to read or something to go and do. But I also I do think that there is um, an element of that being still that's, you know, and for people who who aren't necessarily subscribing to the Christian faith, there's a list of things that that, you know, you're supposed to do. And sometimes being still is doing those things instead of freaking out. And that was probably what I had last week was a freak out moment. Stop looking at her and comparing yourself to so-and-so or wishing you had done X, Y, and Z. You have a list of things to go and do. You know how to use your resources. Use your resources or lose them. That's a little phrase I like to remind myself all the time. Go use your resources. I've given you strengths. I've given you passions. I've given you a knowledge base and experiences that all add up to what you're supposed to go do. And if you're sitting over here freaking out about how you're not enough, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And so sometimes I, you know, I almost think that being that be still thing can almost be taken out of context. Like it's not a call to be lazy. No, definitely. Actually, it's fascinating. So like we've talked about, I love all religions and all parts of the spectrum of them. So 
one of the interesting takes on a new age perspective of that statement, I think it's Eckhart Tolle or A Course in Miracles, takes the idea of be still and know that I am God. So it's like, there's two ways of looking at it, right? So there's that one that you've just shared, which I love, right? It's stop worrying and letting your ego spew at you all day with the fire hydrant and be let that be still and do what I told you to do. <laughs> and another way of looking at that is the be still and know that I am God is when you're still and you're quieting that mind that's going on constantly, the ego, you can realize that I part of you that's deeper is connected to God or the universe. So they would say that we are all from the same source and that's the universe, God, whatever term you want to use. And the new age stuff, it's not so like a Christian God, but just like the universe or God. And so that part of us that our intuition is a part of, so the part of us, it's a part of everything, that is God. And if we can listen to that and come from that place, everything works well. When we don't, that's when we're listening to our egos and running around like crazy people, feeling like we're separated and separate people when all the time we're connected through that element of us that is connected to everything. Yeah. So there's another interpretation of the same statement. Either way, it sounds like we're getting to ego is bad. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Well, ego isn't bad, I think. It's really just trying to waste our time. I think really the ego is scared. I think that's what Mm -hmm. it is. It wants to keep us safe. So a lot of times people look at this from a historical like caveman perspective and they'll call it like Seth Godin calls it the lizard brain. That part of us, it's the thing that protects us from saber-toothed tigers. (laughs) But the thing is we don't have saber-toothed tigers anymore. So we're kind of grappling with how to deal with uncertainty. And I think that's just the piece of us that thinks that we need to take care of ourselves when in fact that intuition piece of us has it covered that's a tricky thing. And I think if anything, I know a lot of people are into entrepreneurship. I'm maybe a little more jaded about how exciting it is for a lot of people right now because I've been in it my whole career. But I'll say one thing that I think that is beautiful about it, and you can get this from anything. So it does not matter with your self-employed. That teaches you to have faith and to have an intimate connection with uncertainty. And the more we can do that, the more we can take steps of faith with our intuition. So I think that's one blessing that comes out of anything that involves uncertainty. But I think small business particularly does it well. Yeah, amen. It all takes faith for sure. Yeah. So what would you recommend for someone who's struggling with failure or this shame or the fear? What would you recommend for them? Listen to this talk again. (laughs) (laughs) Because there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of um, encouragement in it for somebody who's feeling some of those things, no matter where they are, you know, maybe the simple, you know, maybe the simplest thing to do is to draw a line down a piece of paper and start writing down thoughts on one side that are, um, things that we know we should believe going forward. And then putting the quote unquote bad stuff on the other side, putting the ego thoughts, the fear thoughts, the, the thoughts that personalize failure and the thoughts that, are the shame thoughts, you know, I'm afraid of what someone says is going to think of me or, you know, things like that. Rip the bad half off of the paper, put the good half on the mirror and move forward that way. I mean, just in terms of like practical application, like we know you get to this point where you've read enough books and you've listened to enough podcasts and you've read enough blog posts, you know, we know what we should be thinking. We just don't discipline ourselves to think that sometimes. Discipline's a tricky thing though, because the more we fight it, the more it persists what I'm learning from the ACT or that happiness trap is also just to watch it. 
rather than to fight it, to just let it be there like a radio station in the background, Mm -hmm. but not to identify with the thoughts as they're personally you or that they're personally true, especially if they're not serving us. That's something to think about. And I love that you said that. That's actually very much aligned with the step three in the life with intention process is to identify and overcome resistance. And I would Hmm. say it's like the resistance there, it's like a wall. That's the thought you're going to have. That's going to tempt you from not living out your values. And when you face it, you have to go, what's the ladder I'm going to use to climb over it? I'm not going to abolish it. I'm not going to break it down because it's still going to be there. The ego is still going to be there as long as we're, you know, not enlightened like Gandhi, Buddha, Jesus, (laughs) Martin Luther King, whoever you want to look up to. Mm -hmm. As long as we're Mm -hmm. here with that, it's going to be there. So let's just climb over it. What can we do to get over it and take action anyways? It's all about action for sure. Just do something. Yeah. What doubts or resistance have you had to face in your career or life that we haven't already shared? Oh, I feel like I've shared it. I mean, I feel like, I feel like whenever I was talking about, you know, I mean, I feel like I'm in the middle of day designer right now and I feel like it could be so much bigger than it is so much bigger than even I can imagine. And I feel like letting it go is the right thing to do. And maybe I want to let it go too, too quickly. Maybe I, it's not the right time. You know, I also, I want to write a book and that just feels insurmountable some days just because I know it's a hard process. I know it's a brutally hard process. So I just, you know, it's just, but it's, it's back to like just one foot in front of the other. It's just back to action. These are the conversations I have in my head every day. (laughs) (laughs) So how do you overcome it with the book? Look at my to-do list, cross off the stuff that is not peeling back the layers and practice saying no. And, you know, on the discipline thing, one thing, I don't feel like I'm a very, I'm not a naturally self-disciplined person. And so um, sometimes the art of discipline to me is just simply doing something I don't want to do. I mean, which might be, you know, I'm eating a candy bar and I have to stop mid candy bar and throw it away. And I really wanted to finish it. Like, I feel like that's a muscle, you know, it's a disciplined muscle that has to be exercised. So, you know, it's just, as Eleanor Roosevelt said, you know, must do the thing you think you cannot do. And then we do it and we realize we could have done it all along. That's beautiful. So what would you tell someone who's just starting out on this journey? So kind of different than anything we've talked about today, I would tell them to go. I would, you know, I would, we live in a global world where we're all connected on the internet and nothing replaces face-to-face connection. I've gotten to hang out with you once and seen you on multiple occasions. And those moments are the moments that tie me to somebody. It's not, it's not the fact that I've read their blog. It's the fact that we stood on a rooftop together in Nashville one night and had cocktails. It's hard right now for me with three kids to go, but it is hands down the most important thing I do for my career every single year is just to go and spend time with people. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Whitney. This was awesome. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It was fun talking. And there you have it. Thank you, Whitney, so much for coming on the show. And thank you for listening. If you would like to send Whitney a message to let her know how much you enjoyed her episode, please hop over to Twitter and send her a message at Whitney English. Thank you guys so much as always for listening. And I'll see you next week.